Wake up, John Doe, you're the hope of the world. Everybody, uh, welcome to Actual Comedy Presents an Actual Podcast. Uh, I'm Angel East. And I'm Aaron. And uh, today we have another uh, special episode. Uh, this is the second part to a half ass book club with uh, Actual Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the it's the second half of the first half of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Is the way I'm explaining these halves getting confusing? A little bit. Yeah. Half of a half. Is a quarter, mm-hmm. so this would be two fourths. Okay, but you could have half and half inside of a quart. That's true. 
That's true. That's true. When I was in kit, when I was in school, I wouldn't drink milk because it said it was made of um, half pint. Oh, you thought it was like a short a short man that was it, like making it? No, or it was made of a short man. I'm just man? dyslexic, and I thought it said paint. Oh, and, and I you told had... to my I told my parents I'm not drinking this milk at school. It's half paint. You bought into that whole uh, anti lead paint propaganda. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. You think lead paint chips tasted good? They Remember had to have. That was a thing for a while, right? I guess kids were just gnawing on anything because their parents were fucking busy doing other stuff. There weren't like crackers at the time. They no. have like 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 goldfish. Or they didn't some do shit to cater to kids back then. So they're just like, all right, I mean, they're just chewing on paint chips, so they were just going to let them do their thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they they ate dirt. Yeah, but, like, dirt is organic, right? Well, paint is, too, if you, you know. Well, there's lead in it. Well, lead's organic. Superman can't see through lead. He can't? No. You think Mike Lindell can? Oh. It it depends, uh... What point of his life we're talking about? If his crack powers are activated, maybe. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily have crack powers. I think he has uh, the power of manipulation. Yes. Yeah. So you. What can, are the odds? So he can get crack more easily out of people. And he does that Alleg- a lot. Allegedly. Well, no, not allegedly. He he alleges. Yeah. So does that still mean allegedly? Mm. I don't know. Who comes up with the rules for that? I was thinking about that earlier, honestly. Yeah. Because we were talking about uh, in my brain, us. We okay. We were we were all thinking about uh, like like who makes up the definitions of words because you know how like Merriam-Webster. Yeah, yeah. Like every year, they they'll like add a urban dictionary term. To yeah, you got Merriam-Webster. You got a fucking. You got Oxford English. Who's the other one? Uh, Motherfucking Ben Stein. Blackburn's Law Dictionary. Uh, or Black's Law Dictionary. I think that's a whole thing different, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in any case, the man of uh, the subject of today's second half podcast uh, doesn't care about any of those things, especially the law, especially if he's in Mexico. <laughs> um, Boy, does he get in a lot of foibles. <laughs> Is that the word? Uh, again, I guess we should look it up. Whoever makes the rules, Mike Lindell makes the rules, y'all. That's right. In this episode, uh, you get the second half of uh, the first half of the book, right? Half Ass Book Club, Mike Lindell from Crack Addict to CEO. Correct. Uh, we did half of the book, um, and this is the second half of that review. Uh, so we hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Anything else? Uh, no, not for now. All right, cool. Well, enjoy, you guys. Let us know what you think. See ya. Peace. Actual Comedy presents a half-ass book club with Aaron and Angel. And you're listening to What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO by Michael J. Lindell.
So, Aaron, what did you think about this book, uh, and are you excited to review it today? I'm very excited to review it. Um, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I found it to be um, both shocking and might I even say heartwarming in the half that we listened to. I agree. I agree. There was a lot of information, uh, and I'm excited to put it out there for everyone to listen to. So, without further ado, here it is. Yeah, I thought we already said without further ado, which is something. Did we say that? Did we say it? It'd be funny if it's just multiple without further ado. Without further ado. We should have named that our company, Without Further Ado. The first ado. No more ados after this. We're out of, <laughs> fresh out of ados. <laughs> I do love it though. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the friend's name was Toad. That's why it's Toad's Road. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so is Toad the one that went crack? He went crack nuts. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He would have after Toad parties. was the one that introduced him to crack. Yeah, because they would have... He talks about um, spending time at the bar, and then after the bar would close down, they would have after parties. Right. So they would go to Toad's house. Yeah. Do a bunch of cocaine. Yeah. And, uh... Eventually, they got introduced to crack that way, right? Right, right. Like a select few yeah, and, had figured out that if you make a special little mix with this cocaine, it becomes crack, and then... They made a promise to each other, because they were saying that their friends were going off to smoke crack while they were stuck doing cocaine. Okay. And they were like, we looked at each other, we made a promise to each other that we'd never, ever smoke crack. We'd never go down that road. Yeah, they'd never go down that toad road. No toad road. No. But and then they ended up doing cocaine and, and don't spoil it. Oh yeah, yeah. Chapter eleven. But Toad died, right? So that was the guy. Toad died of crack. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get to that was the end of chapter ten. So then we get to chapter eleven, which is Coke times ten. Coke times ten. All right. So um, we start off with a story about uh him arguing with his wife again. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, she was being a real bitch about the crack. Yeah. Uh, he broke down his bedroom door during the argument, I think. Yeah, and his friend Dean killed himself. Okay, Dean was the one that killed himself. Okay, that wasn't Toad. Oh, he Dean would go to Toad's parties, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, so when Dean died, that's the first time he tried crack that year. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, and then he talks about, like, his first experience with crack and how much he loved it. Uh, he says the first time nothing happened, though, right? Yeah, the first time nothing happened. Second time, yeah, blinds come off, angels start singing. <laughs> it's the best thing he's ever done. Yeah, and then that's when he decides that crack is definitely better than coke, right? And then he's like, this is the way from now on. 100%. Yeah. Crack is the way to go. Yeah, and then he tells this crazy story about how his coke dealer is worried about him because yeah. he asked him uh, 
Have you ever heard of anyone uh, going from crack back to cocaine? <laughs> and the coke dealer's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> so, the, goes, so the quote marks, the quote mark, the quote was from the crack dealer, you didn't do it, did you? I did. You're done. No more. Is what the cracks. <laughs> seller coke i'm sorry the cocaine seller told mike lindell yeah this cocaine dealer had so much of a moral compass that he said you know what mike lindell you're using this cocaine for bad purposes and i'm no longer going to sell it to you that's true and that my friends he knew the minute he did coke uh, crack that he was done he wasn't going to go back to just regular coke never again yeah (laughs) so yeah so that was the end of chapter 12 or 11 and with that, we get into chapter 12, which is Storm Warning. Storm Warning. Yeah. Um, we get into a story about um, how he had a player's card for all his favorite uh, casinos. Yeah, yeah. It was and like a goat card. Yeah. They, yeah, that they would give you comps like uh, free buffets or free like hotel stays yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then he starts talking about how he starts to lose uh, business. And his patrons are switching from Schmitty's and they're going to Floyd's. Yeah. Because he's, like, so into his cocaine use that he's, like, letting that affect his business, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Like, he got so into the crack that he wasn't into the customers the way he had been. Yeah. He wasn't cool Mike anymore. He was crack Mike. I love the alliteration that's going on right now. <laughs> um, so then uh, he tells another story about how he was asked to do another intervention uh, for his friend, uh, the, the gambling addict, uh, while he was still an active gambling addict himself, right? Yeah. Um, and for some reason, uh, he told his friend's family that he wasn't gambling. Uh, he was a crackhead. But his friend was his friend a crackhead? Was was his friend doing crack too? Cause they they it, they asked top. him. Oh wait, no, that's told. I'm sorry. Yeah, they asked him to do an intervention. Because they thought he was gambling. Because the guy was gambling, and then he goes, "No, you idiots! He's not. He doesn't have a gambling addiction. He's on crack." <laughs> but it was like one of those mirror situations yeah. where he's doing it about himself. Yeah. Um. But did, but did that guy have a crack problem or a gambling problem? I think he was just a gambling addict. I don't think it was in the crack. Um, <laughs> Mike, you're the one that was on crack. <laughs> uh, and then he talks about uh, the lengths that he took to keep his crack addiction a secret. Uh, he went through some pretty crazy things. None of the examples really come up to mind right now. But I think it was just like mainly going into basements and like hiding crack pipes <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Like he kept crack pipes in places so he could just like reach around and get it and, you know, take a hit of crack whenever he needed to. Yeah. Which from what I re- realized about crack is like constant, right? Like you have to just keep smoking crack there's no yeah downtime yeah the downtime is you trying to find ways to get more crack yeah yeah and wishing you had more crack (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah he talks about what he would use to build the crack pipes right 
He kind of gives like a step-by-step instruction on how to build oh, crack yeah, pipes. Oh, yeah, he teaches you how to build a crack things pipe. things around you. That's chapter 12 in you case know, you need to. Mike Lindell, always the en- engineer. He was, he's always Ingenious. very intuitive, <laughs> helpful even. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then he talks about his friend decides to go to rehab. Uh, but it didn't work, uh, and then the friend becomes a full-blown crack addict, right? Yeah. As did his wife. Karen or the friend's wife? I think they all just got into crack together. They all just got started doing crack. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Oh, yeah. Toad also becomes a crackhead. Um, and then he talks about his kids. Uh, yeah. Kind of weird in the same chapter, but I guess, you know, you love one, you his love the other. His kids were, like, at the age where, like, he could kind of just do a little crack yeah. And they didn't really notice. Yeah. They were still excelling in life because they were like, you know, mid to upper class. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then he talks about learning to count cards. He goes into like the stories of like how he learned to count cards as a kid. Yeah. Um, and then he goes into a little bit about the history. Yeah. These chapters are all over the place. Um, after he talks about learning to count cards, he starts to go into the history about how he worked on a pig farm in 1983. Okay. Because his grandparents were farmers. Okay. So I guess he worked on his grandparents' farm. Um, I don't know, Tommy Bahamas, was that a thing? I thought that said Tommy Bananas. Who's Tommy Bananas? I don't know. Oh, I, was that these the... Are your notes. Wait, was that the gangster guy? Tommy Bananas. Is it Tommy Bananas? Hold, hold on. Tommy Bananas was the guy, remember he said, I'm not going to give his real name. Oh, is that the guy that was in jail that he owed money to? Or is no, I think guy? that was the guy that bought the patent for the MyPillow machine or something like that. Oh, okay. Th- okay. That might be Tommy Bananas. We'll, we'll, we'll hit on that when we get into that chapter. But yeah. that might be who Tommy Bananas is. Yeah, Mike Lindell clearly has ADHD writing this book because <laughs> he's going all over the fucking place. And we're trying to keep you on track here because this is an important thing to know about. Yeah, exactly. So um, let's start with chapter 13 now yeah that was the end of chapter 12 this is chapter 13 which is casino bound yeah so um p this is when he decides to take the refresher course on card counting uh wasn't there like a it was like a greek guy or something that like would give him like tips yeah did he do like meet like meetings with this person and they like did like this? yeah there was like, like, like a class it was a class and they all had huh. teams. it was a he said it was the guys from uh that movie 21 where they were like a, a team of professional card counters, or okay. was it Now You See Me, the 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 magician thing, where they would like use magic to get out of jail or some shit like that? I have no. It was this was based on a movie. Yeah. I His think actions. So. No, it, no. There's a movie named Twenty One, I think, about card counting, about MIT. Like, there's like a team from MIT. That does that. That go or goes around card counting and then they get caught or something like that. And they know. get kicked out. Yeah. So is it illegal to count cards or yes. is it just like, well, how? How do they know? Like, how can you tell me not to count? Well, I don't know. I, there's a way to find out. I don't know. What it, the though. fucking thought police? What's I don't, happening? Hey, listen. I don't own a casino. All I know is what Mike Lindell told me, right? Yeah. Through this book that we read half of. Audibly. Audibly. Uh, so Casino Bound, chapter 13, right? He talks about his card counting. Um, he gives some good tips on how to count cards in this chapter. So Yeah, if, if you can fucking follow it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he talks about how one of the 
uh, aspects of his uh, card counting is the social engineering aspect of it. Yeah, so he has to make himself look like he's getting super drunk. Like, he's just getting super drunk, but says that he's got a higher tolerance. Yeah, in order to, like, fool the casino workers into thinking that he's drunker than he actually is. Yeah. Um, So uh, he decides to go to that riverboat casino uh, in one of those states, right? It's, like, not Nevada, but it's, like, in the Midwest somewhere. Maybe, like, Missouri or something. It's like a riverboat casino. Maybe it's like New Orleans. I don't know. But Doesn't he talks about matter. He goes he, to a he casino. goes there to practice before he takes that refresher course. Um, and then he talks about how he loses all his money. He almost gets robbed by the two crackheads. Remember, he was like looking for the crack. Oh yeah. And, and then he becomes friends with them. Well, they come. Out, he, say, he says they come out of the darkness with like a gun, and they're like, "Give me all your money." And he's, he's like, he says Didn't something. he have like another cool comeback then too, where he was like, I'm not trying to sell you my money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what it was. The, the, like the, the, the roof of his car fell off of his convertible or something. And he ended up he getting needed, the guys to put it back on. Yeah. The, the guys that him. tried to rob him ended up helping him put the, the roof back on his car <laughs> and then he then he drove away without getting robbed. He gave them money though, right? He gave them like five dollars, he said. I don't remember. I do I do remember that, that he ended up talking these guys into helping him out. Yeah. Like whatever it was. But he he told them like I don't have anything else besides this coke he had coke on him, right? And he was like, I got this coke if you want to do this coke with me and the crackheads were like looking at him weird and they decided to leave him alone after they helped him. Yeah, he was like, they tried to rob him, and he was like, hey, man, you guys help, want to help me out? Like, he just completely, that's what happened. Like, he completely he disregarded the crackheads. He disregarded the fact that they were robbing him and was like, yeah, guys, I got crack, and I need your help. And it worked. Yeah. What are the odds? That was in Kansas City. Okay, so that must have been where the Riverboat Casino was, in Kansas City. Okay. Um, and then he talks about... Uh, backing out of most of his plans that he had like in order to do crack uh like he would make plans with his family and say like oh man i can't do it i got uh bar stuff to do and he was doing crack the whole time mm-hmm. um and then he talks about going fishing with his kids oh he tells a story about how he took his kids fishing yeah, and he snuck he, away to do crack. Yeah. <laughs> and he felt bad because he was uh, exhaling crack smoke while his sons were, like, fishing, like, two feet away or some shit like that. I mean, was it downwind? I don't know. It must have been. Everything's downwind at some point, right? It's crazy, right? <laughs> this man has enough money to take time and energy to take his kids fishing. Yeah. And you're feeling bad about doing crack while you're there? That's true, yeah. You should feel lucky. Yeah. Appreciate the crack time that you have while you have it. Exactly. <laughs> and the cats and the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was pretty much chapter 13. Uh, and then with that, we get into chapter 14, which is Tunica. What is that about? Uh, I think that's a town, right? Is Tunica a town in, like, Kansas or something like that? He talks about going to a casino for a week with a known crackhead. And he calls Tunica America's Ethiopia. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of crack that week, he was talking about. Um, He picks up a crackhead while getting crack and then almost gets robbed. Oh, is that when he, like, shacks up with that dude? The guy that he brings in, like, his hotel room? Hold on, yeah. And they just did crack together for a week? He really wants... 
You wrote, he really wants to mentor this young crackhead. Oh, yeah, because he's a, it's like a young black kid, right? Okay. And he's like, uh, the kid No, starts. I don't think he specified whether he was black or not. He did. He did. He did. <laughs> but he starts, because remember, that comes in, in into context later. Okay. What was his name? Like, Anthony or something like that? I wrote it down in my notes, which yeah. I would love to find. All right. But anyway, he talks about how he finds his kid, right? doing crack and the kid helps him get more crack right yeah and then the kid starts telling them his like story about how like he's stuck wherever they are yes and the kid gets him out of like getting arrested because like the cops were remember the cops were coming after him and the kid gets out of the car and goes and says some shit to the cops yeah so him yeah him and his buddy get um the kid like the kid tells him like drive up to this spot or whatever and then he gets out of the car and gets the crack yeah. And then while the kid is out of the car getting the crack, the cops come up. Yeah. And then they they almost arrest them because they're like, what are you white guys doing in this, like, neighborhood or whatever? So right, then right. They put him in cuffs and they put him in the back of the car, according to Mike Lindell. And then the kid comes up, right? And he's and like... And speaks to the cops. And then the cops come and then they uh, let them go. What are the odds? That the kids would that the kid would say something to the cops that would prevent them from arresting Mike Lindell at the time. What are the odds? What are the odds? I don't know. I mean. But he he, he talks about shacking up with that kid for like a couple weeks, right? Yeah, and they he, lived together for a while, and the kid feels bad because he moved away from his girlfriend that had just had had a kid. Tony was his name. Tony. Yeah. And he was Tony. like. He was like, I have to get back to my baby, but I love this crack so much. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So then, uh, so Mike Lindell, like, interventions this kid, gets him to go off crack while he's still smoking crack himself. Well, the chapter ends with them having, like, a specific amount of cash left. And Mike Lindell's like, let's go buy more crack with this cash that I have. And then, I guess, as they're in the process of doing that, he goes, What am I doing? And then he says he gives the kid the money, the rest of the money that they were going to use for crack. And he's like, here, use this to go back to your family. <laughs> yeah. Did he hand him the money and say, go a- get a ticket or did he buy him the ticket? He said he bought him the bus ticket with plans to use the rest of the money for crack himself. Okay. But then the kid said, I don't have any money to buy like lunch or something while I'm on the train or some shit like that. So, so he was like, he money. gave him all the money and was like, here, use that to like buy a sandwich and go back to your family. I'm going to go do more crack. Yeah. Yeah. And that was I'll the lesson. I'll find more money. Yeah. And that was the end of chapter 14. That was the lesson of chapter 14. Yeah. Him and Tony. Uh, we don't know if Tony comes back in the story, actually. Yeah. I don't think he came back up. Yeah. In the first half. In the first half that we did. But that was the end of chapter 14. We get into chapter 15, which is, it's a small world. And then he sings the song too, right? I remember him singing the song. Yeah, yeah, he does sing the song at one point. But he starts it off uh, by talking about uh, how he hurt his family members' feelings uh, when he played. Oh, he, his family members hurt his feelings because they played softball for the opposing bar. Remember, they had like a softball oh, league. Oh yeah. And his family members were joining Floyd's team. Yeah, that's the ultimate... Um, betrayal. For, betrayal. For a crackhead that owns a bar in Minnesota. You're going to do that to family? Yeah. Um, and he talks about how uh, 
he... Oh, this is where it gets into it. He sold pull tabs for the Lions Club. Yeah. That was, like, the gambling thing. It was, like, some sort of, like, thing where you would, like, scratch off and, like, maybe win a couple bucks or whatever. I don't know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, like, sort of like a like a raffle type thing, right? Yeah, and he but made was, money like, off of it. So the Lions Club was, like, a local, like... I think they're affiliated in some way with white supremacists, honestly. Yeah, probably. But um, it's, like, the, you know, there's a Lions Club... Uh, March of Dimes. I think these are all the same thing. Are they the motherfuckers that wear the fezes? Yeah. No, the fezes are Shriners. Jutes. No, yes, Shriners. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, yeah, different, but whatever. They're like a local organization that, like, pretends to donate money to, like, things that need money or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he was selling, uh, uh, like, raffle tickets, basically, and then getting a cut from that and using that to, like, bolster up the money that he owed to people, right? Um, yeah, that's around, a, that was, like, he said that was a lot of his um, income. Yeah, and then around this time, uh, he goes to jail for three weeks uh, for driving uh, after a canceled license. So I guess they had, like, suspended his license for multiple DUIs, and he was caught driving drunk again, so they, like, put him in jail for three weeks. Um Okay. Did they put a breathalyzer on his car, or it was just like... I don't think they had that technology back then. 2002? Mm. When did 40-year-old Virgin come out? I don't know. After 9-11. Everything happened after 9-11. Maybe. Okay, so... Um, so this is when he... Oh, yeah, he had to blow into a breathalyzer, and he failed it. And had to go to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he goes to jail in 2002. But this is when he tells a story about how um, he had, like, a couple of hours left before he had to report to the jail. And his son had, like, asked him to play, like, some game with him. And he was like, sure, I'll play this game with you. I'll be right back. Yeah, and he went to go do, like, one bowl of crack. He and just he went did, to just do one. And he did two hours worth of crack? He spent the whole time doing crack. And then he forgot that his son wanted to play that game with him before he had to go to jail for three weeks. So uh, he felt bad about that. Yeah, right? he did feel bad about that. Um, yeah. But whatever. Uh, he goes to drug. He goes to jail, right? Yeah. Um, and he gets a work release from the... What prison? He goes from work release to real prison. Oh, yeah. What did... Didn't something happen where, like, they got mad at him for something? And they were like, you're going to real jail now? I think he was doing um, crack, like, the whole time. And they found he out about it. Release. Yeah. yeah, because he still had Schmitty's at the time. So he was just yeah. getting out of jail, going to Schmitty's, doing a shitload of crack, <laughs> and then going back to jail for the night. Yeah. And I think they, like, figured out what he was doing. Oh, he failed the jail drug test. Okay, there you go. Oh, it was the because it was work release, so he only had to show up like on the weekends or some shit, right? It, I think it's one of the, it's like you go in the you're there, you live there, right? You sleep there, yeah. but they let you go at like nine a.m. and you got to be back by whatever the curfew is. But they do is. random drug tests. Yeah, and he exactly. One of those, exactly. So they were like, "You're going to real jail." Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he talks about his very, very uh, big dislike for rap songs. Not a fan of rap music, huh, Michael no. Lindahl? He didn't like. Uh, the prisoner songs, I guess. <laughs> Did he elaborate on that? What are prisoner songs? I don't know. I guess that's the rap songs that they would sing in prison. I'm going to have to go back in to chapter 15 and listen to whether or not he sang any prison songs. He does talk about how he snuck in a deck of cards, though. 
How do you think he did? He did. He stuck him in his ass. Magic. Oh. Probably had him like you know in his mouth or something. (laughs) Um. Yeah. So I guess. Okay. So that's why he talks about he doesn't like rap music, because everybody was doing their own rap songs, and he got upset because he couldn't participate. So the way he participated was he started a prison sing-along to It's a Small World After All. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he he gentrified the whole prison. Yeah, he sings a song, and then all the prisoners uh, start singing it. And then he got in trouble because uh, they said, what are you doing? You're, you're getting the prisoners to sing this song that's, like, annoying us or whatever. And he's like, so what? We're in prison. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I mean, pick a cooler song, though. Is that the only one he knew? I think that's the only one he knew that probably other people knew. That one and uh, Shake That Ass, Watch Yourself. Like, they he could have like done, songs. Uh, girl, you look good once you back that <laughs> ass up. I bet you everybody would have known that. <laughs> um, so then he talks about... Uh, the, how the mayor has it in for him. I guess the mayor, like, remembered all the bad things he did, like, when he was younger, and he doesn't want him to keep the bar. And the mayor's, like, trying to do things to get him to sell the bar. Wait, so the mayor's still mad that he jumped out of, like, windows as a kid? I don't know if the mayor knew about that. Oh, but he's talking about, like, the... Probably, like, the drunk driving stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the stealing from bookies and stuff like that. Okay, so he has it in for him. Yeah, um, so then uh, he decides to sell the pool tabs for the Lions Club while the bar is so... Okay, so he decides to sell the bar because the bar isn't making any money. The only money is coming in from this Lions Club pool tab thing pool tab raffle thing so he was they decide to take their business elsewhere because he's not making any money because nobody's coming to his bar so the way he decides to make it work is he decides to sell them from the bar himself so they don't have to pay somebody to sell the raffle tickets at his bar. Okay, okay, I got it. I'll do all the work myself and you don't have to pay me you just keep selling them here or whatever. Um, and I think that's what he has. He goes into like this is his first forward, foray into trying to change legislative policy, because remember they they do that thing in the court where they're like, is a bartender allowed to sell these from behind the bar, and they have to do like some like thing where they change like the local policy for something. Do you remember that story that he talked yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, I do. It had something to do with, like, their local, like, government. Well, I think it, w- it did have something to do with the local government, but I think it was, like, he wasn't allowed to be a bartender or something, right? He was allowed to be a bartender, but I think the the law was bartenders weren't allowed to sell Oh, the those pool tab. Yeah. Gotcha, okay. Because something about the, the liquor license or something like that. But he goes into more detail about that in this Either chapter. way, this is his first time entering the world of politics. Yeah, and trying to get things in politics changed for whatever reason he's trying to do. So that's pretty much the end of Chapter 15. Uh, and then we get into Chapter 16, which is... Those were the days. Those were the days. Um, he starts off with a story about going to a family reunion. Uh, and he decides to gamble while there to make enough money to pay off the rest of what he was behind on his mortgage, right? Okay. 
So they were behind like a lot on their mortgage, and he's like, I'm gonna go gamble while I'm at this family reunion. Hopefully, make enough money to. Yeah, this is when he was a card counter, right? And he was like, I have this much time here. If I go to these separate places and I can gamble this amount of time, then I can make the money back that I need without gambling to pay off my mortgage. Right. Um, This is also when I think he tells a story about how he goes up to his family members and asks them to, like, invest in his gambling addiction. Yeah, he's, he's like, like if, if, you, I, if I gamble at this rate for this many days, <laughs> I will bring you back this much money in return. <laughs> it was literally just like the, um, the he had just memorized the odds. Yeah, exactly. He memorized the odds. Um, so he talks about how he gambles so much uh, during this time. Uh, there's a moment where he's like really, really tired. And he goes back to the uh, room where his wife is. And his wife's like, you can't take a nap. She's like, you can't sleep if this is what you want to do. If you're sleeping, you're not making money for us. <laughs> yeah, and then we won't be able to, like, pay our uh, mortgage. Yeah, or our And still cocaine. have money for crack. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want more crack, you better stay awake, Mike, and That's go right. make this money. So uh, he ends up, she, she ends up talking him out of the nap. Uh, yeah. He goes back to gamble more, and he makes enough money to pay off the debt. What are the oh, odds? Yeah. What are the odds? <laughs> um, through all this, uh, he finds a way to sell Schmidt's the bar. Yeah, and he decides to do one last banger called Masterpiece Weekend. Yeah. He really wanted to be the have the life of Ted Danson in Tears. Was that your note, or was that... Um, that was, his? no, that was, he kept making references to Ted Danson in Cheers. He was like, you know, I was kind of like a little-known character, Ted Danson from Cheers. <laughs> like, he wanted that life so bad. Oh, he kept referencing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like when Ted Danson did that thing on Cheers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so chapter 16, he basically just talks about selling the bar, he does that masterpiece weekend where he like selects all the different music and all the different activities that they do. And that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, chapter 17. Chapter 17, Good and Evil. Uh, this is when he starts to talk about his dream writing. Okay, so what was that? He um... So he has a dream and uh, he would like write down the things that happened in the dream. Okay. Or something like so that. So, like, every he, day he woke up and just or he would, down. Yeah, it was, or it was something where, like, he would keep a notebook and, like, fall asleep, like, with the pen in his hand, and then something would, like... He talked about, like, a different, like, tapping into a different stream of conscious... Like, automatic writing? Sort of like that, like, but because just, he's a like, Christian, he doesn't understand, like, those terms. <laughs> so, was he writing down his dreams, or was he doing, like, automatic writing where you just, like, write whatever comes to mind? Well, in this first in this first story, in, in this chapter, he uh, talks about how he started writing, and, it, and that was his, like, what was it, like, a, the, the Martin Luther thing? Uh... Like the 99 Theses yeah. came to him? Yeah, but it like was, remember Roman he titled guy? it, he titled it God Against Crack? Oh, yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was a, a, a scale for crackheadedness. C1 through C5. Five's the worst. Five's the worst. Yeah, and a lot of his friends are crackheaded at this point. Yeah, so uh, he called, yeah, that's what he called it, a crack essay. 
<laughs> and it was like all the experiences like through like being a crackhead and like was it like how to stop being a crackhead or how to be a successful crackhead? Oh, excuse me. I don't remember. Like, was it? I think it was. Um, like honestly, any way you wanted to read it, right? Like you could use it to be a crackhead successfully, or you could use it to stop using crack. Yeah, but but I think it was meant to help people stop using crack. Whatever it was. He talks about how a weird thing happened after he was done writing it, or like when he was in the process of writing it. His sister calls him out of nowhere, and she tells him that a pastor had come up to her when she was at church, and the pastor told her, whatever happened to your brother, he needs to follow it through. Like during the time that he's like writing this uh, God Against Crack thesis thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he takes that and he like hides it somewhere, right? He says he takes it like the the thing, he puts it like in like a painting <laughs> or something. The Ten Crack Commandments. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he sells the bar. Yeah. And uh, he talks about the the deal that he did to sell the bar, right? It was like his friend's uncle or something, like was like a shady dude that like invested in like property oh and the guy like was that. supposed to give him back like x amount of dollars or something like that yeah like, and he knew that he really wasn't ever going to do that but he needed to sell the bar for to keep the house or something like that for whatever per- yeah i think he it was knew because the guy was a piece of shit he needed to sell the bar or like have the bar out of his name in order to sell those ticket things the raffle ticket things yeah or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah that's what it was something like that so anyway, he sells the bar for, like, less than what he thinks it's worth. Um, and then he decides to become a professional card counter for the first time. Like, this is, like, when he's, like, this is my main job. I'm going to go to the different casinos and card count cards mm-hmm. and make money that way, right? Yeah, so he was out of the bar business pretty much yeah. at that point. Um, and then the corporation that he started with his wife because he owned multiple bars and he was married... So they needed to start a corporation to, like, house all these different businesses. Yeah. Um, that corporation ends up getting sued by some guy who got hurt at one of his bars. Oh, shit. Um, but the story was kind of crazy because, like, the guy didn't get drunk at Mike Lindell's bar. Yeah, he just made a call He there. made a phone call from his bar, and because he was drunk when he made the phone call, they decided to sue Mike Lindell and his wife's LLC or whatever the fuck. Okay. Um, but what happened? Like, th- didn't that, like, influence why he was, like, trying to sell the bar also? Like, he said if he got, like, a, a lawsuit, then, like, somebody wouldn't ask for, like, a specific amount of money for it or something like that. Somebody, did, did like, his father-in-law want to, like, buy it back from him or something? Remember he told a story about it? He was, like... It if, was, like, if, the if guy we were, like, that in an active lawsuit. He was like, if we were in an active lawsuit, then, like, they wouldn't ask us to... Was it uh, oh, bankruptcy yeah. or something? I don't remember. I don't know either. Maybe well, they get more into it down the road. Yeah, or but... it wasn't interesting enough for to stay in my brain. Um, but it was, like, some weird shit where they didn't want to keep uh, the bar in his name. Yeah, so he sold it to his bookie's uncle for sixty thousand dollars. That's okay. what it was. Okay. Yeah, and he was gonna like give a, give the bookie's uncle back like a hundred thousand for the rights back to it or something like that. Yeah. 
yeah so that's what chapter 17 is like uh and then we get into chapter 18 which is leaving las vegas um, he talks about going to Vegas with fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that was like the fifty thousand of the sixty thousand that he got from selling the bar. Yeah, and so this was he, gonna be like his big like, I'm gonna make a lot of money off of this, right? Yeah, does this is where he was gonna start to to be a card counter. Yeah, um, and then he gets into like the different statistics of like dealing with gambling and crack. Uh, loaning money out not sure if any of them are true oh all the statistics oh the statistics the statistics about uh like how to I don't know how many people actually how to make big... crack how to loan money or whatever <laughs> um all more crack facts yeah he ends up losing all the $50,000 within 24 hours nice um and then he tried to get more money from that guy that loaned him some, right? The guy that, like, the, the bookie's the uncle. The first guy? The bookie's uncle. I'm oh, sure. the bookie's uncle. Yeah. And then the guy said no, and then he threatened him, right? Because he was like, I got you right where I want you. You're going to do what I say or whatever. Oh, yeah, because that guy was supposed to give him something at the end of whatever was happening with their transaction. Yeah. I forgot what it was like, but it was like the guy was gonna he was gonna give him sixty thousand dollars up front, and then something else was supposed to happen. But he knew yeah. that that wasn't gonna end up happening because the guy was shady. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so after that, uh, he said he was like a fish who doesn't know he's wet. That's a pretty funny quote. What does that mean? I was like a fish who doesn't know he's wet. <laughs> I was like a clown that doesn't know he's in costume. <laughs> um, but whatever, through whatever conversations he had, somehow he found a way to convince the loan shark to give him a few thousand dollars more, right? Yeah. He has a conversation with him in like the car or whatever. And the and guy's like, like, you know what? I like you, Mike. Yeah. Um... And he's banking on this money, right? He's like, this is all I need. This is what's going to bring me back from the brink of oblivion, right? Yeah. Um, and he takes that money. He goes back to Vegas, right? Yeah. But he tells uh, another story about a black kid helping him do crack. Okay, now which one was this? This is a different one. God damn it. I mean, he helped a lot of black kids with crack. But I, I think he didn't help anyone, probably. I think he's making this up. <laughs> he saw, like, losing Isaiah or something. <laughs> he, like, added a little blindside in there. <laughs> mixed in some crack. <laughs> Do you think any of this happened? I don't know. I, I would like to ask him. But this is what we reviewed in the first half of this book, so... Okay, so he got the more money from the loan shark. Yeah, he gets more money. He goes back to Vegas, right? Yeah. Then he, he shacks up with another kid, and he does a bunch of crack. And then he gives him money, right? God, this looks so much worse in notes than I remember. <laughs> I guess it's like when it's in his own voice, it's like, yeah, look at this, all this awesome stuff I did. And yeah. then when you take notes on it and read it back, you're like, he did what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, I guess he also helped this kid get back home that he was trying to get back home. Okay. And then he talks about being so depressed that he watched Gunsmoke for two days straight. Nice. Because he was depressed. Gunsmoke? Yeah, that was another cowboy. It's like rawhide. God damn it. 
So uh, that was the end of chapter 18. Uh, we get into chapter 19, which is uh, the dream. Yep. Um, and this is spring. Spring 2004. This is when he first had his first My Pillow dream, right? Okay, so it was really like 2002 to 2004 that he was doing, he was going real hard in the paint with the crack, or was that the end of it? Um, at the end of 2004? Like, when did he stop crack? I don't think he ever stopped. I think he's still doing crack. He's still doing crack. Yeah. But that's beside the point. This is, this chapter, chapter 19 is when he's talking about. Spring 2004. When he first had the first idea for the My Pillow. His first My Pillow dream. Yeah. So, uh, he had a dream that it was him running around screaming, where's my pillow? (laughs) That was the dream that he had. He was just running around screaming, where's my pillow? And then he wrote down my pillow over and over again for days. I guess that was part of the dream writing, right? Yeah. I had a purpose now. (laughs) Yeah. So he decides he has a purpose now that he knows, you know, because he says a pillow is a very personal thing, right? Yeah. So he has to come up with a way to, what's his purpose again? I don't creating a pillow? Creating the world's best pillow. Yeah, I guess. Um, so he just started writing down my pillow over and over again, like on a piece of paper. Yeah. And then he started getting obsessed with pillows, right? So then he starts to go out and, uh, he goes to like different stores, right? And he talks about how he goes to different stores and he takes different pillows and the managers like come up to him and they're like, can we help you, sir? And he said, one of the quotes was, nope, I'm good. Just doing pillow research. <laughs> I'm just here at my local Bed Bath & Beyond to do some pillow research. Yeah, so he was doing his pillow research for a while. Okay. Um, to, I guess, get the basic style of what he wanted to go for. Yeah. Um, and then he decides to start doing foam research. Okay. And seeing the different types of foam that he could find. Yeah. At different... Where do you buy foam from? I have no idea. It's like he's going to different textile plants is what I was gathering. I was picturing him going in and out of, like, different, like, you know, there's a place around here called, like, Plastics something. Mm. I pl- I pictured him going to places like that. Can you go to, like, a textile mill and just buy things from, like, the front of the, the, the warehouse? According to Mike Lindell, you can. <laughs> I don't know how many people have time for that. I think they usually just go to, like, Joanne Fabrics and get, like, the amount of whatever they need to put in their own one pillow they're making. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and then he, he, he talks about how he got so into... Uh, his pillow research that his friends would say are you on crack? Oh yeah that's right you are. (laughs) (laughs) So he was still on crack. He was still on crack trying to figure out what's the best pillow. Um, And then in August 2004 So shit he figured out the foam between spring and August of 2004. It took him a while. It took spring him a while. Spring and August of 2000. That's a couple months. That's crackhead time, though. Oh, yeah, that's it's true. It's like four times the amount of regular. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like four years. <laughs> so he got the pillow pillow foam down. Yeah, he got it figured out in August 2004. Uh, and okay. then he decided to take a vacation. He took a vacation every year, uh, no matter what his finances were like. So... That was the thing. He always wanted to be, like, a good father, I guess, and put on the uh, 
persona as as if he was like a good provider for his family by going on vacations. But like, how do you take a vacation with bad finances? Like, do they just accept like a smile and a wink? I think you just get loans from people. Where do, where are these loans coming from? Like, well, I need to know where these loans come from. It says his friend Bob was the one who bought the contract from the loan shark for seventy thousand dollars. So the loan shark made ten thousand, and then. After that, I guess he didn't owe the loan shark anymore. He owed Bob, but he trusted Bob more than he trusted the bookies loan shark. That's wild. That's exactly what what credit cards do with your, um, you know, like they sell your credit card debt to loan sharks. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, debt collectors. Debt collectors, yeah. Not loan shark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, chapter 20. Pretty much chapter 19. So we get into chapter 20, which is... The learning curve. I, I thought that said learning nerve, yeah. like how people say love sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gets into uh, talking about the... Um, the machinations of how to make a pillow. Yeah, and his friend at a poker game suggested that he use uh, a hammer mill for the pillows in order to get like the pieces of foam out. Yeah. Because he was trying to figure out a way that you could pack the the foam into the pillow and he figured out that uh, if you just grab the foam by hand it's not as good or something like that so he tried to do it by machine and it didn't work out as well either well he did some sort of engineering process to like get this hammer mill that he bought and i think it was to chop the foam up yeah like they would get big pieces of foam and like they needed to like get it milled down to whatever size right and this is where he brings up his experience from the farms yeah how, like he knew about these machines that necessarily weren't even used anymore yeah so uh he goes on to describe how he goes on like a search for this specific type of like metallic piece of machinery that they used in like farms back in the day for i guess sheep's wool yeah. And, like, different types of, like, ways to pack that or whatever. I forget what that was called. But, yeah, so he went and got that piece of equipment. Well, he, and then... he, he looked for one for a long time. He couldn't find one. And then he was at a, a a poker game, and one of the guys said, you know, you're looking for one of those things. I think, like, Earl has one down on, like, Route 7 or whatever. And he was yeah. like, oh, really? So he went with his son, right? Yeah. In a car. They went down there, and then he said as he was, like, approaching, he saw it like in the middle of a field somewhere just like collecting dust and rain they just left oh, it out there like, and uncovered. they were like oh yeah you can use that yeah well he bought it from the guy right but the guy was well, like yeah. it hasn't worked in like however many years but then he took it home and then he figured out how to make it work again yeah but he did something else with it because it was like remember it was like a patented thing that he that didn't patent it but it was like a fucking thing where he was making it work for his purposes yeah um, so then, uh, he finds, he finds that piece of machinery and then he goes into another story about how, uh, he went back to a casino with his wife and this time he made $40,000. Um, and during this time is when he met the professional card counters. Okay. That's when he, that's when he joined the team. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was asked to join the team. Uh, as soon as he got the money, he goes back to the, uh, the room with his wife and he throws the money and he tells the story about he throws the money in the air and they just like I guess dance as the money's falling down which I don't know if it's true I feel like that's made up just for like if this eventually becomes a movie 
Yeah. The Mika movie scene. That's a good scene. I feel like I've seen that in another scene. Yeah, any movie where they're talking about getting money. Like, yeah, I've seen it a lot. Dead presidents. Every rap video in the 90s. Um, so he joins the team, right? Uh, but then the team ended up disbanding because they were caught counting cards, right? Yeah. So he didn't really get a chance to, like, do too many things with them, right? Yeah, he never really... Um, but then the guy who, like, put the team together suggests that he hooks up with these other guys who also <laughs> form a team of card counters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he brings his brother in with him. This is the first time he brings his brother into his gambling addiction. Okay. <laughs> um, in the process of doing all this, uh, he finds out that he can't sell his pillows in, uh, Oh, he start, it changed. He just starts to go to like CVS's. He like, start. He start. He's he he got the manufacturing aspect of it down. He can make the pillows, so he thought that <laughs> he could just show up. I think it was a Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah. And he said he just showed up and he was like, "I want to speak to the manager." And he's like, "Look, this is the best pillow in the world. You need to carry this in your store." And they're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> We don't do that here. Sir, I make $7 an hour. <laughs> what makes you think I can fucking make this decision? <laughs> but he thought it. I mean, God love him. Yeah, I mean, you can't knock the hustle, how far he got with right? that. You can't knock the hustle for that. So the guy at the Bed Bath & Beyond tells him that's a no-go. You Sir, can't that's not this. how we work this. Yeah, so he decides that he has to find a different way of trying to sell these pillows that he's come up with. So he ends up going to, like, what, those, like, bizarre, not bizarres, what is that something called, conventions and stuff, where, like, all, like, the up-and-coming, or is that not this? Well, first, he decides to set up a meeting with a QVC rep. Remember, oh, nice. he was talking about, like, maybe I could get on TV and yeah, sell these yeah, on, like, yeah, a yeah. home shopping network type thing. And then he talks about how the meeting went wrong because they, they, they said it was, like, a stupid idea and he got, like, offended or something. <laughs> so he fucks that meeting up. And then he decides to just buy one of those kiosks in the mall. Oh, inside the mall, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he does that, right? He makes money off of that, right? Yeah. Um, and then doesn't he have, like, a trade show or something that comes by? Yeah, he said that he got, like, a call... From somebody that I guess got um, so he a had hello from the kiosk. So he had said, a kiosk. Hey, can you come to our trade show. Yeah, so he had a kiosk at the mall. They had they had the trade show, or somebody went to the mall bought the pillow. And I guess was somebody that frequents trade shows for whatever reason. Yeah. And said, hey man, you need to get on this trade show thing. Okay, so then he goes to the trade show. Yeah. Shows my pillow. It becomes like a hit at the trade show. Yeah. Right. Phenomenon. Yeah. What are the odds? What are the odds? All right. Chapter 21. You ready? You ready for this? Yes. Chapter 21, a new drug. Um, so in this chapter, he goes more into detail about the trade show. And he talks about all the pillows he sold at the expo center. Uh-huh. One of the guys comes up. And tells him, like, it's one of the highest-selling, like, products here. Yeah. Uh, he puts some numbers out there. I think he says he ends up selling, like, $10,000 worth of product, which At is crazy. At one show, yeah. At one show, yeah. Um, he tells a story about uh, giving away homemade Mother's Day gifts in grade school to a classmate who needed it. Oh, yeah, remember he talks about, like, 
how he's always felt the need of like to like help his fellow oh, man. Oh, yeah, how he's such a good person. Yeah, and his classmate, they, they were in class and when he was a kid and they had to make Mother's Day gifts and his classmates fell or whatever and she broke her Oh, she broke gift. her gift. So he ended up giving the one that he made for his mom to his classmate so she could have something to, to give, give her to her mother? mom. Yeah. But like F his mom then? I guess, yeah. Mm. But... I don't know if that story's true either, but he said it. Okay, um, so calls new drug being nice to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's guys, just, now Mike is addicted to being nice. Yeah. So we, as we can see, he just switches from one addiction to the next, and he's really just trying to find whatever way he can like maximize his dopamine drip from whatever this new addiction is. Yeah. So if it's being nice to people, he's gonna be nice out the fuck out of you. I'm gonna fucking be so nice to you. <laughs> um, so in, in while all this is going on, he's doing good selling these pillows at the trade shows, right? Um, he's still doing a lot of crack. Uh, and he started to do so much crack that he became paranoid that his kids would eventually catch him. Yeah. So he started to stay away from his house more. But because it is, his wife thought he was cheating on her. Oh. But he wasn't. He was just sneaking away to do more crack. Yeah, he was like, honey, no. I love you. I'm just going here to do crack. Yeah. And I think she ends up just meeting up with him, right, to do it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he ends this chapter... With talking about the old guy, the story about the old guy. And he talks about how the old guy comes up. And he's like, I don't care about pillows. I've had one pillow my whole life. What are you trying to sell me here? Yeah, and he's like, fuck you. Fuck these pillows. I hope your whole family dies. I'll fucking fuck this pillow and I'll fuck you at the same time. And I'll fuck your wife while you're watching. (laughs) But so so he, he goes and the old guy comes up for a demonstration, right? And he takes the pillow and he puts it like behind his back. And uh, he seems impressed by it, right? Yeah. No. No, no, no. So he does. He, like, he, he's like... He's but like, he wasn't I'm impressed it by it. At first, right? Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to take it home, right? For free. For free. And Mike Lindell says, I'll make you a deal. You take this pillow home. I'll call you up. If you like it, then I'll come by and pick up the money for the pillow. Yeah. If you don't like it, then I'll come by and pick up the pillow and just take it away. You don't have to deal with it anymore. The yeah. old guy agrees, right? Yeah, so the old guy so calls up two he, weeks he, later. He writes, his, he writes his number down, right? Yeah. Mike Lindell calls him, like, two weeks later, right? Yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm calling about the pillow, blah, blah. And the old guy's like, I've been, I've been waiting for you to call. And he's like, hey, I was wondering, you know, I'm going to be in the area. You mind if I, like, stop by and, like, see what's up with the pillow? And the old guy is like, get the hell over here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. very, very impatient. So he goes over, and he's like, uh, all right, man, what'd you think about the pillow? And the old guy's like, it's not bad. <laughs> and he's like, all right, do you want to give it back to me? He's like, no, actually, uh, I want to buy four more. So he's like, oh, shit, look, great, a sale, right? He likes these pillows. Yeah. So the old guy goes to pay him money, and Mike Lindell goes, wait, instead of paying me money... How about you give me a review of the pillow? And I'll use that instead of cash. You just give me a review and I'll be able to use that like for my advertising. Yeah. Like this guy from this town said this about the pillow. So the old guy writes down on a piece of paper 
He's a, keep in mind, he's a curmudgeon, right? Yeah. Rickety old guy, hates everything. So he writes down on a piece of paper, I'm 82, and I don't like a damn thing. But these pillows are okay. <laughs> yeah, it turns out after that, the man used the pillows to smother his whole family. Yeah, that's not confirmed. We don't really know about that. We saw that on a website somewhere, but... So that was chapter 21. Yeah, chapter 21. What did you think about that chapter? I liked it. I like that he's addicted to being nice now. I yeah. mean, and crack. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's chapter 21. So then with that, we get into chapter 22, which is saving Uncle Butch. Okay, so he talks about his history with Uncle Book. Bu- book, Uncle Butch. Uncle Butch, yeah. Um, Uncle Butch was a really bad alcoholic. Yeah. He um, he goes to his uncle's house to talk one day, and he um. He tells that story about how he saw that weird guy like sitting in the corner, of his uncle's house. Yeah. And then he was trying to get his uncle to like get off the booze or something like that. The guy was telling him that. No, he's telling his uncle to get off the booze. Okay, okay. But I think he says because of that interaction, the guy in the corner said that he was, like, listening in and, like, that interaction changed his own life or some shit like that. Was that it? Oh, oh, I think you're right. He's like, there's a weird guy in the corner. So Uncle Butch uh, drank his family's wedding gift of alcohol. Okay. Um... He tried to get sober, Uncle Butch sober. Uh, he offered to take him to rehab. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he drives him to the Salvation Army to get help. <laughs> Did you know? Where they just like enslave uh, addicts to do like basically free labor, labor for them. Former Santa Claus volunteers. Yeah. They all. You have to be a former Santa Claus. Volunteer. You have to be a former Santa Claus card-carrying former Santa Claus in order to join the Salvation Army. What? Yeah. That's a fact. Former Santa Claus. Card-carrying. Where do you carrying. get a car- card from? In the mall. Talking about the people that ring the bells? Yeah. Are you calling them Santa Claus? Maybe. Okay. Uncle Butch. Uncle Butch, he one of those guys? No. So yeah. he goes to rehab, right, at the Salvation Army, right? And then uh, Mike Lindell at the time talk, thinks about, like, he talks about thinking, like, why didn't he take his own advice? Because he's so good. This is the first time that he realizes he's so good at giving advice to people and, like, getting sober. Yeah. But he's never taken his own advice. Right. What are the odds? <laughs> um, he drives into the Salvation Army. Um he brings up that his bookie was an Asian man for some reason. Um. Because he was talking about him like he was like a Mr. Miyagi type guy. Do you remember that? Like his new bookie oh, yeah, was like an Asian yeah. guy. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he gets into debt, like $20,000 gambling Again? with the, yeah, with this new bookie. Um, and then he makes. A uh, $25,000 bet. To try to get out of the hole. Yeah. On a college game. Okay. Um, the team ends up losing the spread. Uh, so now he owes $50,000 to the Asian boogie. Nice. Um, and he described him as a tiny... This is a quote. A tiny Asian boogie with a heart of gold. <laughs> Chapter 22. Saving Uncle Butch of... Uh, what are the odds? Mike Lindell. Tiny Asian boogie with a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so after that, he applies for a patent. 
Well, he finds he finds a guy to do a distribution deal with for the okay. pillows, right? While he's fifty thousand dollars in debt with this bookie. Yeah. Okay. So he brings up uh, applying for the patent and the difficulty of uh, trying to get one. Okay, because you have to have all, like, the logistics and shit drawn out, and he didn't have that. Right, exactly. Um, And then he ends this chapter with uh, saying in December of 2005, he sells the majority of stake of MyPillow to the guy he made the distribution deal with. But he doesn't mention who that guy is. Not yet. No. Okay, chapter 23. So, we get with that to chapter 23, which is... You can't stop me. You can't stop me. So uh, this chapter, uh, he starts with outlining uh, outlining the idea from the purchase. What purchase? The purchase of oh, the my pillow purchase rights, right? Yeah. And the patent. So yeah. he, he talks about the patent. He talks about how uh, the guy comes and like takes the machine away from him, right? Yes. Yeah. So the guy that took the distribution deal with him, takes that machine from him, yeah. and is going to go, like, make his own or make whatever. Make his own pillows, yeah. And he's, he's, he's got a way to, like, make them cheaper or something, right? Yeah. But Mike is still going to make money off of this somehow, right? He's still supposed to make some money off of it, but yeah. it's like he's basically getting screwed out of the deal. Yeah. So um, he talks about how he spent all the Christmas money that he had saved up on crack and cocaine. Yes. Separately, by the way. So he bought crack and then he bought cocaine. <laughs> um, well, so he's going back. Maybe he's getting better. He's going back and forth, but I think Sweet Lady Crack is his number one bitch. Yeah, that's his bottom bitch. <laughs> um, he refuses to sell the company. The guy uh, keeps trying to get him to sell the company, right? He's like, give me all the rights or whatever. <laughs> give me all the rights. Well, he gets... He tells... He talks about a story about how they had, like, a meeting somewhere, and then they get thrown out of the meeting, right? It was, like, at a restaurant or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember that part. I mean, he's always doing some weird shit in a restaurant or whatever. Yeah. I kind of don't remember this explicitly. Yeah. But, anyway, uh, he ends up refinancing his house to, to keep his company afloat. Yeah. Um, and then it was always about the crack. That was a quote from the book. It's always about the crack. Um, he brings up another investor, but he's... Okay, so this isn't the guy. Okay, so that first guy is different. Yeah. This second guy is the guy that stole the machine. Okay. Because this is the guy who he refuses to name. Okay. He's vague about who it is. He ends up selling his pillow machine for the money. So I guess he keeps the rights of it intellectually, but the machine got sold to the guy. So he can't make the pillows without the machine, right? Yeah, you can't make the pillows without the they, machine. They, they, uh, like, create the foam or, like, they cut up the foam in a certain way where it, like, sits in the pillow correctly, right? Yeah, it does this whole thing where, like, you put your head on it and it's supposed to, like, sculpt to your head and right. not feel like you're sleeping on a bunch of lumps. Right. So then this guy buys the rights to the machine right and he takes the machine from Mike Lindell so Mike Lindell doesn't have a machine to sell to create the pillows anymore but I think the deal is the guy will supply Mike with as many my pillows as he wants to sell himself okay okay that That was was the deal deal. okay so um yeah the guy the guy ends up buying the machine 
Um, Uncle Buck, Uncle Butch, during this time period, ends up dying. Oh man! While this is happening, that was sad. Um, at the funeral, uh, the guy comes up to. Oh, the guy at the at the, the weird looking guy. The, the weird looking guy at the corner of Uncle Butch's house comes up at the funeral and says how Mike Lindell saved his life. Uh, with his touching story with about with his touching story about being an addict or whatever, and that's how when he decided to get sober himself. Um, and then there's a quote about being an addict isn't something you are. It's something you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it. And then he ends this chapter with still not revealing who the mystery investor is. But he keeps calling him Price. He's like, Mr. Price did this, and Fisher Price did that. And what could have happened between then and now? I don't know, because... That, my friends. See, that is the end of exactly half of the of book. What are the odds from Crackhead to CEO yeah. of Mike Lindell's story? Yes, we have yet to get to the part where he's just a CEO. Hello, greetings, salutations. It's Nathan broadcasting live from the basement. Take this moment, breathe and reflect, for your knees will begin feeling weak in a sec. This is a public service announcement to make girls sort expert like a fountain of earth that is round in your verses. Astoundingly whack, cut the cable in the mouth, cause someone give me a Stella. Pass the voice at Marcella. Putting down these yellow belly fellas, oh yellow. Hello, high water hips, the piss. I'm in my cellar, gripping mics, I'm a blister, and it's sick the damn good day. I'm the man you say, I disagree more than me, get your man's away. I got a plan to stay, in the barrel getting pitted. Told you not to do it, you know what you're going to get it. Can I pump my bass or pump up your brakes? I eat chumps like roast beef on a lunch date, must stay up today. Some fluctuates, when talk your hearty for the fool your face. Uh, God dang, if I had one wish, I'd be driving a black Mustang like John Wick that I purchased with rapper cash. That's a cool one, son, I have to laugh. Ha. Fuck making it, I'm making it happen. I'm accepting that I'll never get to get paper stacked. Fuck making it, I'm making it happen. Can I put you on a clinic with this rap shit? Still, I'm hoping out I pull up so I'm drinking coca mentos. Eating oriental food and freaking instrumentals. I want candy painted Cadillacs. I want to be in Caddyshack. Came out in the 80s. Yeah, time. I want to travel that. Decent. Yeah, gorilla style. Cool. Ella the Bills. Illegitimate child. Huh? Break me all right, y'all, that concludes the first. All right, y'all. All right, y'all, let's talk about it. Why does your uh, inner country come out when you... Uh... I don't know, because you know what? Y'all is just such an easier word to address a group of people by than yeah. use guys, I say sometimes. But I think use guys actually sounds like white trashier than... Uh, yeah, two syllables, too. You yeah, want, y'all, um, y'all is perfect. You want the least amount of syllables, right? And y'all is perfect. You yeah, know that. Yahweh. You know that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the second half of uh, a half-ass book club, right? The first episode. Well, that was the second half of Mike Lindell's. No, that was the second half of our rec- our recording of the first half of Mike Lindell's book. Right. The, we're doing a half and half thing again. Half and half. Yeah, yeah. All right, I drank too much paint. Yeah, well... But anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our review of half of that book. Yeah. Um, um, what did you, real quick, what did you think about the process of doing that? Again, this was like our first uh, uh, rodeo when it comes to trying to record like a long form podcast together. So, uh, yeah, because we actually like listened to the book. Yeah. Quote unquote, read it. Yeah, yeah. Are we allowed to say read it? <laughs> we re read it. TM, yeah. <laughs> 
and it was a fucking long book for long one book. man. He who, went through a lot of shit. He though. did go through a lot of shit. He did. Yeah. And you know how much artistic license he took, we'll never know. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for the next book though. Should we give him a little teaser? No, no, no. We don't. We haven't decided. Should we leave yet. any like like codes? No, we don't. Yeah, I don't. Because it might be something else. In the meantime. Uh, well, I mean, there's definitely going to be something else. But, I mean, for the next half of a book, I'll read. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll let the audience decide. Okay. Maybe we'll do a thing where we'll put a poll out and then nobody will participate and we'll just decide it anyway ourselves. Exactly. So if there's a book <laughs> out there that you guys think that I should read half of. Yeah. Well, no, because the point of this is we're telling you about a book. So yeah, yeah. And so we, if there's a book you'd like to know about well, half it was, of, it was supposed to initially it was supposed to be about like uh, game changers, right? Like the first one was Mike Lindell. The second one was gonna be uh, that pimp guy, right? Yeah, and that's that's still not on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iceberg Slims, yeah, pimp. Yeah, yeah. pimp. yeah maybe. And then uh, we'll see. We don't have. We'll to see. We got this a lot of now. other ones in there. I think we might do the Oxford English Dictionary next. That. Might take more than a couple of hours. It'll be it'll be split into like eighteenths, probably. Yeah, yeah. What's the first half of the alphabet? Where does it end? It's 20, L twenty six, right? L thirteen. Yeah, I think it's L, A B C D E F G H I J K L M. Oh, okay. So everything up to M or before M? M is thirteen. MS-13. MS-13! Oh, shit! Mind meld. All right, guys. Well, listen, we hope you enjoyed this episode uh, and the concept. Uh, again, we're going to keep doing uh, a couple Whatever more Whatever the fuck we want anyway. Yeah, we're going to come back with season two uh, pretty soon. Uh, so keep your eye on that. Um, and we're also doing uh, stand-up shows around the area. So keep your eye on our social media for any announcements involving that. Yep. Um Anything else? Uh, look out. This because will come out before then, so look out well, for. Well, don't don't, uh, pro, don't promote anything that's like date specific, right? You want to like evergreen. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll be out there in the ether, y'all. Yeah, just check us out. All right. Seriously though, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, yeah, we'll be back with more episodes soon. Uh, take care. We'll see you guys next time. Love you. Me. Right now? really stink. We were just singing the baby to sleep. Wake up, little Betty Bies. Have you been Betty Bies? It was waking me up. When I lay me down to sleep. When the soul identifies with Maya, it forgets. Thus the soul is temporarily in darkness. It is deluded, and it dreams the mortal dream. Becoming increasingly involved and confused, the soul remains bound up with the world. The intuitive faculty becomes suppressed and its perception of truth blotted out.